Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom, friends. Great to see you all. Thank you for being here. Very excited. Very excited for this new series of learning. And what's better than a beginning? Session one. What is better than session one? And this, set, this series is built on a dream. This series is built on a dream that with love, we can transform the world together. That with kindness, we can transform the world together. And that's what we're going to do. 40 weeks of meditation together. By meditation, I, I, um, I mean reflection and learning and engagement together around how we can rebuild the world on love. And the, the teaching that comes from Tehillim is Olam Chesed Yibaneh. We will build this world on love. Olam Chesed Yibaneh. I will build this world from love. And you must build this world from love. And if we build this world from love, then God will build this world from love. Olam chesed yibaneh. Friends, together, we will rebuild this world on love. And so on that note, I want to start by reading you a children's book. You probably didn't think I was going to start with that. But I want to start with a children's book called Try a Little Kindness. A smile to greet the morning, a hug to greet each day. A thank you and a yes, please, are things that you should say. Our animal friends will show you exactly how it's done. Make it a daily habit. Kindness can be fun. Wake up with a smile. Rise and shine breakfast time. Be the last in line. Invite someone over to play with you. Share your toy. You'll feel so special inside. Try some kindness every day a smile or joke or something else, come on, don't you wanna play? Tell someone they are special. Write a poem for someone. Be a great ally. Hold the door for a friend. Praise someone's work. Give someone your seat. Pick up the trash. Visit someone who is lonely. I think I know you think we did it, but our job is not quite done. We need to keep on going. Being kind is so much fun. Help someone without being asked. Read to your friends. Write thank you notes. Do something unexpected. Take a selfie with friends. <laughs> when evening has come and it's time to go to bed, you brush your teeth and wash your feet and make sure your fish is fed. Think of new good deeds to do and some nice things to say. Then you'll know why kindness counts and look forward to each day. 
Okay, friends. So it's great that we tell stories like this to children and children need it and adults need it. Adults need it. It is very easy to forget that kindness is what moves the world. Kindness is what sustains the world. And it is very easy to know these things, of course, of course, but to live them each, each day, each hour, that is the great opportunity of our lifetime. That we, um, as David Brooks wrote about, we live not by the resume virtues, but the eulogy virtues. Today in America, people, young people especially, are obsessed with resume virtues. How do I get ahead? How do I build my resume? So the things people would say about me show how great I am on my resume, as opposed to the eulogy virtues, the things that would be said about us. No one says about someone at their, at their funeral, oh, this person was you know, really great at budgets. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing wrong with budgets. You know, oh, th th this person was, you know, uh, <laughs> really amazing at a fundraising pitch. You know what I mean? So it's the eulogy virtue. It's the kindness we've done. It's the it's our ability to live with love. And so our series is going to take for granted that all those little things we identify with as kindness are part of what we're talking about. Open the door, say nice things, invite people over. Um, you know, all those that share your toys, um, give someone your seat, pick up the trash, all these basic things of what it means to be a mensch, what it means to be a decent human being, a respectful human being are of course a part of this. But what we're gonna look at in the 40 are 40 classical areas of chesed in Jewish thought, 40 classical areas of kindness and how they play out in our tradition and how we can infuse them with more meaning in our own lives not that we should feel guilty because we can't achieve all these every day. We can't do them perfectly, but we can be inspired by room for growth. That just like we might go to the gym and try to get better at a sport, just like we might invest financially and try to grow funds, so too we should challenge ourselves every day in growth on how much kindness we can do. But imagine that if the world was racing less for wealth, less for faster speeds, and more for like, how much kindness can I do in a day? We were like radically chasing it. That would be a pretty amazing way to live. And so we're gonna be dreamers together in that. And our first topic today is Bikor Cholim visiting the sick. Let's start with a little poll together so we can get a sense of where we're at with Bikor Cholim. Okay. How comfortable is Bikor Cholim for you? Option one, I visit the sick regularly and find it very meaningful. Option two, I visit the sick on rare occasion that it's family or a very close friend. Three, I don't find many opportunities to support the sick. Four, I would never visit the sick since it makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, take a second to cast your vote. No guilt or shame, just getting a sense, a little hash phone, a little accounting of where we're at here to figure out if we're, if we're already mastering this and want to master it qualitatively rather than quantitatively or if we want to jump in more deeply. Okay, let's see our results here. Okay, okay, 9% says they visit the sick regularly and find it very meaningful. 82%, the high majority, say they visit the sick on rare occasion if it's family or a very close friend. It's not a part of a broader kindness project that kind of stumbles upon them when it's a, someone they love. 9% said they don't find many opportunities to support the sick, just doesn't come up for them. And no one said they don't do it by principle, it's just too uncomfortable. Although there are people like that, people who, feel they should donate blood, but don't want to because it's uncomfortable or don't want to walk into a hospital, feels like an unsafe place or, or the like. In any case, friends, here we go. So 
Um, we've got some Torah to share, and then we'll think about how we can deepen this together. So the first case we learn of in the Torah of the mitzvah, mitzvah of Bikor Cholim occurs in Genesis 18.1. God appears to Abraham, to Abraham, in the plains of Mamre. He was sitting in the doorway of his tent. At the heat of the day, he raised his eyes and saw that there were three men standing by him. So this is the case where two mitzvot intersect. He's welcoming guests. But first, he's just had his brit, his, his brit milah. He's been circumcised and he's recovering from his circumcision as the first Jew who had to undergo this. And God is visiting him. God is visiting. Rashi teaches that God was visiting Abraham at the opening of his tent in the plains of Mamre because Abraham was healing from circumcision. That's his commentary there based on the Talmud of Bava Metziah. Rav Chama ben, Rab, ben Rabbi Hanina in the Talmud also uses this event as the example for why we should indeed, and indeed why we must visit the sick. He connects this story in the Torah to another Torah mandate. You shall walk after the Lord your God. That's God as a verb, right? Be, be God-like. Similarly, Rav Yosef taught that another verse, you shall show them the path that they should take, means that we must engage in acts of loving kindness specifically including visiting the sick. And so for most Torah commentators, Bikor Cholim is not one of the 613 biblical mitzvot of the Taryag mitzvot, but is included in the general mitzvah of chesed, as well as that of emulating the divine. The Sefer Mitzvot Katan, um, however, as well as the Bahag, specifically included Bikor Cholim as one of the 613. So that's fascinating. There's a powerful story in the Talmud about a student who became sick and no one visited him. Then his teacher, Rabbi Akiva, visited the student and helped him with some of his needs. As Rabbi Akiva was leaving, his student in recovery screamed out to Rabbi Akiva, you have saved my life. Shook from this pronouncement, Rabbi Akiva taught, anyone who does not visit the sick is akin to a murderer, right? So Rabbi Akiva says, wow, the only thing worse than being really sick is being really sick and being alone. Being alone um, because your hospital is understaffed and you just can't get, you know, the care. You've, you, you know, your nurse has like 12 patients at a time and you're hitting your pain button. You're hitting your button. You're not getting your pain relief. You're not getting your, your catheter fixed. You're not getting your, um, you're not getting your breakfast, right? And, and um, that type of alone. But then the type of aloneness where no one calls you, nobody visits you. No one even knows you. So Rabbi Kiva says, like, this is life-saving stuff. Rambam, Maimonides seems to be influenced by this story in that he teaches not only the positive mitzvah to care for the sick, but also issues a harsh warning against those who ignore their needs. The Rambam writes, Bikor Cholim is a mitzvah that is obligatory upon all. Even people of higher stature are required to visit people of lower stature. stature. Numerous visits daily should be made as long as this does not inconvenience the patient. Whoever visits the sick is considered to have taken away part of the illness, and whoever does not visit is akin to a murderer, right? That's pretty strong language for us to unpack together. We live in a world of complex human relationships and power dynamics. One might have mistakenly thought that a poor person should visit a rich person who is sick, but not vice versa or that an adult should visit their elderly parent who is sick, but not vice versa, or that a student should visit their teacher who is sick, but not vice versa. Rambam, based on Rabbi Akiva's story, reminds us that there is no power status when caring for the sick. 
We are all frail flesh and bones and need care no matter who we are. It is for this reason that in the Misha Berach prayer for the sick, honorifics and titles are customarily omitted when inserting the patient's name. We are all on the same playing field when we fall, when we fall ill. The rabbis taught, Rav Yehuda ben Shila said in Rav Asi's name, who in turn said it in Rav Yochanan's name, there are six things, the fruit of which a person eats in this world while the principle remains for them in the world to come. They are hospitality to wayfarers, visiting the sick, meditation and prayer, early attendance at the Beit Midrash. Oh, that's a great case for showing up at BBM one minute early. Requiring one's children to the study, excuse me, rearing one's children to the study of Torah and judging one's neighbor in the scale of merit. Okay, all six of those are worth unpacking, but it's worth noting that Bikur Khalim made it into the six, into the Talmud, that this is something we will eat the fruit in this world. We will reap the benefits of this. And in Olam Haba, this has a special, very special reward for those people who, who, who um, uh, take care of the sick. The rabbis further taught that there is no measure for this mitzvah, given its importance. It says in Nidarim, there's no measure for visiting the sick. What is meant by this? There is no measuring for visiting the sick. Rav Yosef thought to explain it. Its reward is unlimited. Said Abaye to him, is there a definite measure of reward for any precept? For we learned, be as heedful of a light precept as a serious one. For you know you you for you know not the grant of reward for precepts. But Abaya explains that even a great person must visit a humble one. Rava said one must visit even a hundred times a day. So it's easy when one is healthy to forget the pain and isolation involved with sickness. You look around on a sunny day, you enjoy your drink, the world seems normal. We can forget the millions of people in hospitals, the millions of people in isolation. The Talmudic rabbis in their statements and stories are doing all they can to never let us forget of people in despair. Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote, is good health a person's normal condition and sickness an aberration or is, or is health a deceptive interlude while we wait for something else to go wrong? In this simple reformulating of what it means to be sick, R Rabbi Kushner reminds us that we all can become ill at any time. So. You've heard the question, why me? As if we're shocked, like the world is healthy. How come I just got hit with an illness? Like as if it's totally rare and totally random. And I'm the, 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 the abnormal, um, unfortunate one. I can't believe I got this sickness. Like I got COVID, I got cancer. Like how did this happen, right? But actually that is just a detachment from the reality because the sick, those who are sick are removed, often removed from our presence unless we're caregivers. And so it is easy to forget what is normal and what is not normal. The rabbis even attempt to quantify the impact of our visits to the sick. Rav Abba, son of Rav Hanina said, one who visits an invalid takes away a 60th of their pain. Now, you know from the Talmud that 1 60th is a very important number. Uh, that is, to give an example of, of its case, we say 1 60th of death excuse me, one sixtieth of sleep is death, one sixtieth of, of uh, a dream is prophecy, uh, one sixtieth of a tray dropped into kosher still keeps it kosher, right? 
you've got a pot of 60 pieces of kosher. You drop one piece of treif in there, it's still kosher. If it, I, I mean, there's, there's some surrounding rules around that, but you get the point. One sixtieth is an important idea. And one sixtieth of pain doesn't sound like a lot, right? But imagine, um, imagine if it's enormous pain, one sixtieth can be a huge relief. Said they to him, ah, oh, they're very clever. If so, let 60 people visit him and restore him to health. There we go, we solved the problem. Who needs doctors, right? <laughs> we'll just get 60 visitors. He replied, the 60th is as the 10th spoken of in the school of rabbi, of rabbi, and providing further that the visitor is Ben Zuko, for it was taught, Rabbi said, a daughter who enjoys maintenance from her brother's estate receives a 10th of the estate. Said they to rabbi, if so, if a man leaves 10 daughters and one son, the latter receives nothing. He replied, the first to marry receives a 10th of the estate, the second a 10th of the residue, a third a 10th of what remains. Now, if they all married at the same time, they redivide equally, okay? <laughs> so we quickly moved to laws of inheritance, but we see the rabbi said, now we don't believe in magic. Like you don't just get 60 people to line up and you've cured it. Okay, so the first one takes away 160th. Now, uh, the next one will take away 160th. It's uh, of what's remaining. Perhaps this attempt to quantify the impact of Bikor Cholim was intended to serve as a catalyst for each of us to engage in this mitzvah and not leave it to someone else. Another implication may be that one's individual visit has a different nature than that of another and that the patient can thereby benefit from all such visits. This visitor tells good jokes. This visitor makes great soup. This visitor doesn't, you know, doesn't, it's kind of offensive, but like, I just love them, right? <laughs> this visitor like bought me a plant, right? This visitor, like, like I know they went through the same sickness I went through. So each visitor is unique unto herself. The rabbis taught that we should sit on the floor when visiting the sick. One who visits the sick must not sit upon the bed or on a stool or on a chair, but must reverently robe themselves and sit upon the ground because the Shekhinah, the divine presence rests above an invalid's bed. As it is written, the Lord doth sit himself upon the bed of languishing. This, however, only applies when the ill person is lying on the ground so that a visitor who sits will be higher than them. But if the sick individual is lying on a bed, it is correct to sit on a chair on the same, same level. They want, they want to, number one, get us away from the mentality uh, of a domineering presence. The person is vulnerable and all of a sudden someone visiting them is towering above them in a way that can feel intimidating. But also what a profound lesson. Where is God to be found among the sick? And so we are to sit on the floor in awe of the divine presence. It can be reasoned further that standing above the sick can be intimidating as we said. And we want to embrace a more humble stance at such a sensitive time for them. We should not just check the box after showing up for a brief visit. Rather, we should also try to proactively assist the sick. The Aruch HaShulchan writes, the essential part of the commandment to visit the sick is to investigate the needs of the patient and do whatever they require, as is stated in the Talmud regarding the student of Rabbi Akiva who became ill. Right? We don't just send a message, feel better, Oh, you're sick. Oh, too bad. Feel better, right? I feel like, how can I help? How can I help? Right? But not how can I help in a way that everyone's going to reject, right? How can I help in a way that actually might be helpful? 
And how beautiful it is that in many cities, groups of people called sleep groups stay with sick people all night long and look after their needs. During the day, in general, most of the patient's needs are met by relatives, but at night, as much as they wish to stay awake, the relatives are exhausted from working all day and caring for the patient. You know, I remember a, case, a personal case where I was in the hospital after a major surgery um, and, um, uh, and people who loved me visited me a little bit in the daytime. Uh, but at nighttime, there was a chassid. There was a chassid who had gone through a similar surgery to me a few years earlier, and he would go most nights. And instead of sleeping at home, he would sleep on hospital uh, couches in the rooms of patients undergoing uh, the sim a similar case. I mean, the guy, the guy was it, it, it so profoundly changed me. He, I, I didn't know the guy. Uh, of course, he didn't just show up. He freaked me out, right? But he said, can I stay, can I stay the night? Would you, would you like me to stay the night? I said, I'd love it. Are you kidding me? I'd love it, you know? And so when I woke up from pain, he would talk to me and I could see him over there. And, and I knew he had gone through the same procedure I had, I, that I had gone through. And so um, th this idea of showing up at a time when other people don't show up, which by the way, is the Jewish definition of leadership, I believe. Leadership is not lining up to do what everyone else wants to do. Leadership is showing up for what no one else is showing up for, doing what no one else can or will do, right? That Zelensky can take the flight out, but if Zelensky takes the flight out, it all collapses. Zelensky takes, the, takes on the role that no one else will take on. And, and knowing that if he gives up his role, it all collapses. So too, like what is the role in our Bikor Cholim uh, that we can take on that no one else can take on? The rabbis taught that in addition to visiting the sick and healing the sick, that we should also pray for the sick. Rav Shisha, the son of Rav, Edi, said one should not visit a sick person, not in the first three hours of the day, nor in the last three hours of the day, so that the visitor should not give up on praying for God's mercy. The first three hours, a sick person's mind is at ease. The last three hours, illness becomes more intense. So of course, we don't have to live by that as, a, as, a, um, as an empirical truth, but the idea there remains um, that they think that our, our spiritual engagement as well as our physical and presence matters. Some of us may hold a theology where we believe praying for the sick may be a way to call upon the omnipotent divine to engage in healing. But for others, praying for the sick is less a call to God and is more a call to community to support. We mention the names of the sick in our community to remind us of our collective responsibility and our collective role to do our part. I see a hand up. I'm almost to the conclusion of the presentation. I'm gonna open it up. Rav, Yitzhak, Rav Avraham Yitzchak Kakoen Cook offers a unique commentary on an important Talmudic passage, which he specifically relates to the mitzvah of visiting the sick. Rav Cook offers yet another model for understanding the absence of formal commandments dealing with certain ethical issues. Rav Cook notes that although in general, Jewish law maintains that greater is one who is commanded than one who acts with the spirit of volunteerism. Right? It's better to fulfill your duty than do something that's not your duty, he, right, the Talmud says. This principle applies only to ritual laws, he says. With regards to the ethical realm, it is preferable that ethical behavior be a natural outgrowth of an awareness of right and wrong rather than based on a divine command. So he says, in the ritual realm, it's better to fulfill your duty than something you don't have to do. 
right? It's better to go to Yom Kippur service than it is to just go meditate because Yom Kippur is something we should do as Jews and meditate is a nice thing, but you don't have to. But on the ethical side, he says, rather, it's better to do something you don't have to do, but something you naturally want to do. Imagine if someone visits the sick, helps the needs or comforts mourners simply because God commanded them to do so. Ironically, it is when we act ethically based on a profound respect for our fellow man and not based on a divine command that we actually experience an authentic interaction with God and God's ideals. So yes, there is a mitzvah to visit the sick. Yes, we want to cultivate our spiritual orientation towards striving to be godly. But at the end of the day, the real spiritual revolution is about cultivating empathy and to truly love others and care for them simply because we care for them, not because we, are, we, we feel we must. Our intentions matter. The story is told about Rabbi Arya Levin, known as, known as the Sadiq of Yerushalayim, the righteous one of Jerusalem, who once accompanied his wife to the doctor. When the doctor asked about the nature of the visit, Rav Levin responded, our tohers. Rav Levin so strongly identified with the pain of his wife that he referred to it as our foot. Like he didn't say my wife's foot has this problem. He said, our foot hurts. This is an example of true em empathetic Bikur Khalid. On the other hand, the rabbis were far more concerned that the right things happened and that people are taken care of than about the purity of our motives. For example, they taught if a person says, I am giving this coin to charity so that my sick child will live or so that I will make it to the world to come, he is completely righteous. Today, we might think, oh, oh I don't, people shouldn't do good things because they're obligated or because they want to go to heaven. Like, what kind of person is that? But at the end of the day, Judaism, by and large, cares more about the right things getting done than the purity of motive. Okay, so you, you want your name on the building, that's why you're giving a million dollars? Like, we're really happy you're giving a million dollars. Like, the fact that you want your name on the building should not in any way deter the righteousness of the person who is sustaining this institution, right? Yes, is it ideal if the person is operating from some totally uh, state of bliss, of love and empathy? Of course, but at the end of the day, what matters more is that people do the right thing than do it for the right reasons. Humans can strive to be like angels, but we are not angels and our motives can never truly be totally selfless. Doing good for good, albeit imperfect, reasons, it, it, reasons um, are, these reasons are to be expected. And so friends, some people might visit the sick. They say, geez, when I'm old, I don't want no one to visit me. Like I wanna be on a committee and I wanna strengthen that committee so that someone will visit me when I'm there. And that's okay, like worrying about oneself as well. Because of how large a demand one sickness place upon the community and on society, and because of the sanctity of life, we must do all we can to preserve our own health. This is so important that the Rambam goes so far as to suggest that our sleep is itself a mitzvah. If a person sleeps in order to allow their mind to rest and to give rest to their body so that he should not become sick and unable to serve God because of illness, in this case, his very sleep is a service of God. What a cool way to think, think about when you're falling asleep. Like I am serving God by going to sleep because I'm taking care of myself. There is no mitzvah to be so run down. Obviously there, there's no mitzvah to be so absorbed in self-care that like all we think about all day is self-care, but there's also no mitzvah to be so run down that actually like we can't do our jobs properly. We need the community to support us because we're, um, we're, 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 we're constantly have a runny nose. Our, our minds aren't working well because they're not sharp. We have to take care of ourselves. 
and, um, and prevent ourselves from becoming a case that puts strains upon the community. It's the same conversation around tzedakah. We should all be giving tzedakah. At the same time, we don't want to fall into a place where we need to be relying upon tzedakah, upon others. Some, of course, people have to, but we want it to prevent being a burden upon the community. A colleague of mine shared the following story. Every Friday, while serving as a hospital chaplain intern, he would visit an elderly woman who had a prolonged hospital stay. Each week at the conclusion of the visit, the woman would say, it was nice seeing you, Rabbi. And each week the rabbi followed with, I'll see you next week. One week though, she ended the visit by saying, it has been nice seeing you, Rabbi. The difference in express expression is so nuanced that the rabbi didn't even notice it. When he responded with the usual, I'll see you next week, she in turn stated, Rabbi, you didn't hear what I said. I didn't say it was nice seeing you, as I always do. I said, it's been nice seeing you. I won't be seeing you anymore. When my colleague asked her if she wished to explain, he was taken back a bit when she added that she was gonna die that afternoon. She explained that until, until then, she wasn't ready to die yet, but now she was ready. At that point, the rabbi leaned over, gave her a kiss on the forehead and told her that it had been nice seeing her too and that he wished her well on the journey to the next world. The woman passed away later that afternoon, my friend told me. Life is short, but life is equally sacred. We must do all we can to save life and preserve life. Visiting the sick is so important, not only because of the abstract value of life, but also because of the specific dignity of the one who is suffering. One cannot measure the healing benefit that Bikur Khalim brings to the sick. But may we be united together in sickness of body, mind, or spirit, as well as in health. Um, the last thing I want to say before I open up our conversation is, um, is um, that uh, is a story that I, I read from a rabbi in LA recently, a reform rabbi in LA, around a family visit. And he said that he, he would visit a, a Jewish senior residence every Friday uh, before Shabbat. And he would do a little service with them. Now, his father had severe dementia, and his father had since moved into this senior residence that he visited every week. And um, he, instead of having people stay in their chair to give them the physical healing benefits in addition to the spiritual benefits, he had them line up, people who could stand up. And when he would say a prayer, they would respond to him by throwing a ball back to him, like a little balloon they would hit back to him. And as all these seniors lined up, to say the prayer with him and hit the ball back to him. He noticed his father with severe dementia was now for the first time in his line. And as he saw his father in this line, he realized that his father had many virtues and many vices as all people do. And his father had never in his life played a game of catch with him. Never when he was two, never when he was six, never when he was 13. Never in his life did his father play catch with him. He was all business. He came home, he watched the news, he ate dinner, he went to bed. And he realized that as his father advanced in this line, that it was the first time he was gonna play catch with his father. And as his father got closer in the line, he started to tear up as he hit the balloon to his father. But then something happened that he noticed his father tear up because his father was so overjoyed at hitting this balloon back. When he realized that not only had he missed out as a son, never playing catch with a dad, 
but his dad had missed out on decades of never playing catch also. And so friends, uh, in our Bikor Cholim, sometimes it is just a gift to another, and sometimes it can be on a deeper level healing for ourselves and for others as well. Okay, friends, I'm gonna pause there. I would love to see you and hear from you. I see um, if he is still here, Matthew had a hand up. We can start with him. Okay, I'm unmuted. Um, I wrote down a couple of things while you were talking. And the first thing, which I thought was extremely prescient, today's New York Times has an article about loneliness. And in the article, they stated that the largest population of seniors now live by themselves and they have over 40% isolation. And of course, with COVID added into it, they have been more depressed. And one of the conclusions in the article is that loneliness is a killer. So, I mean, go ahead. Yes, please, I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, so in terms of visiting the sick, they're also lonely. And when nobody comes to see them, the pain that they have increases because they can't take their mind off of it. So yeah, definitely um, making time out for people who are ill, I think is crucial. And whether it's commanded or not, as a compassionate individual, this is something that you do and you don't even think about it. Great, great, amazing. So a few things. One, if you've never read the book, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, highly recommend it. Number two, thank you for that. I saw a, 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 a study, which y'all probably saw as well, that actually shows the most lonely population in America is not seniors, but millennials. Hmm. Um, that we, we always assume that seniors who live alone are the loneliest population, um, but actually millennials uh, are suffering the most from loneliness for various reasons. Um, now, it's not, it, it, it's not a contest. Uh, it's not a contest like, oh, let's not visit seniors. Let's go like do more millennial programs. You know, like loneliness is in every population in every age in, in, in various ways. Um, and yet, uh, and, and yet um, uh, it's, 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 it's a great reminder that those people who just aged out of college or sometimes who lived with their family and then lived in a campus community and now find themselves living in many ways alone, just going to a job and coming home alone. Um, and find dating to be a challenge and the like are oftentimes very much suffering. Um, now, it, it's also worth repeating because Eileen brought it up. We're not only dealing with physical illness, we are dealing with mental illness. And we are not only dealing with illness that it has already reached its climax. Just like we talk about preventative medicine, we wanna talk about preventative uh, care, right? There are the sick and the not yet sick, as opposed to there being a binary healthy people and sick people. We could say there's the sick and the not yet sick or the sick on various levels. And how do we, how do we engage with folks um, who are, are approaching that? And like, let me give an example um, around the trans issue. Like on the trans issue, um, there's even cases where we know certain pieces of legislation or lack of legislation will actually create new levels of depression or risk. Like how do we 
as activists also think about health policy in a way that reduces risks for people, people who are potentially suicidal, people who are potentially depressed, people who have gender, gender dysphoria, right, is, is just another case, people who are at risk getting what they need. So this is not only interpersonal, it's also uh, on an activist level to be sure that people have access to, uh, to what they need. So, so thank you, Eileen. And then over to you, Eric. And then Lauren and then Cheryl. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I think Lauren kind of summarized it as, wow, very beautiful. I think that's a great summary of this amazing start off to this session. Um, I have multiple questions. But I just want to start with one so to give a chance for everyone to speak. Um, the Abraham example you saw in the very beginning was was a great one, but it highlights that the three men at, at the time were, were strangers. These weren't family. This was strangers. Are there degrees of degrees in the quality of chesed in this and the practice of bikir kolin, stranger versus non-stranger? Is it a better or bigger or more important chesed to to visit the sick if the sick is a stranger versus a family member or friend. Ah, thank you so much for that. Okay, first of all, there is a halakha that you should not visit your enemy when they're sick. You might've thought the opposite. Wow, they're vulnerable. Um, this is a great chance for me to make peace. Um, and there may be some exceptions around that, but by, by and large, the rule is like, that will cause such distress to the person. Like, let's say people are divorced um, people are divorced, a really, really nasty divorce, not like one that, that heals. And like, they're like, okay, I should give them a last visit. They're dying. But actually like that presence would cause such distress among that person. Um, then that feels like taking, like it's closure for the person who's visiting, but it's actually not helping that person or a very estranged child relationship. Um, you can imagine an estranged child relationship, them showing up and not bringing real healing before someone dies. You could also imagine it it um, it causing uh, duress, distress, and so there are cases where we should not visit. Uh, we should not visit. Now, in regards to the stranger versus relative, the Talmud says um, we should visit. And now here they're not calling it stranger. We should visit the Gentile sick along with the Jewish sick, because darchei shalom, because of the ways of peace, um, and uh, that's worth unpacking at another time. But essentially, we care about visiting all people. However, the Talmud also makes clear a hierarchy of, re of responsibilities that starts with family, that starts with friends and community, that starts with people in our immediate orbit. The world would be healed if we all took care of our immediate orbit before we went to strangers. And of course, then there is um, going above and beyond towards the stranger realm, especially if in the case of dying, hospice workers, amazing people who are willing to be there for strangers so that nobody dies alone, uh, so that nobody dies alone. So that is a short answer to a huge question, Eric. But just to, to wrap up on the Avraham point, um, Eric offers an interesting idea there um, that those three are actually fulfilling the mitzvah of Bikor Cholim, which I had not thought of. Um, what I thought was happening was God is fulfilling the mitzvah of Bikor Cholim by visiting Avraham who is sick, and then the three strangers who arrived, the three Arabs who arrived, the three angels who arrived, they're described differently, who arrived there, are giving Abraham the chance of the mitzvah of hachnasat urchim, of welcoming guests. But that they themselves are, that Abraham is helping them by giving them food and, and shelter, not that they are helping him 
by visiting the sick because they don't show him care. He, he gives them care. But Eric offers a new interpretation that maybe their presence also in some ways are healing. Effect. Actually, <clears throat> me and my kids recently stopped by uh, an, elder, an elderly Israeli woman's home. And immediately upon visiting her, she got out the wafers the kids love. So even though we're trying to take care of her, she immediately is hosting us, which is not what we want. We don't want to be putting people in a position where they now need a host. Like a shiva, a shiva house should not be an entertainment gathering where all of a sudden this person is mourning and now they've got to order all this food to host everyone and clean up the house and blah, blah, blah right? So, right? It's hard. How do we not put an extra burden on the person we're trying to help? From a point of view of the recipient, um, I had two knee replacements oh, a year apart, both during, and it was really painful, both during the pandemic. And for the first one was pre-vaccinations. Not many people could come over, but they sent, they sent soup, they sent food. And a good friend of mine risked taking the train from Ottawa to Toronto to spend two weeks with me post-surgery, you know? And I don't know how I could have managed because I was in so much pain. For the second one, it was post-vaccination. People did come respectfully with a mask, with soup, uh, with food. And I'm telling you, it made all the difference in the world. And even like a phone call from a friend saying, hey, how are you doing with the pain? Because the pain's horrific after knee surgery. Um, it's a godsend and you know what? It helps heal. It really yeah, totally. helps heal. Totally. So it's so important. Totally. Thank you, Lauren, for that. And that's my experience also um, that, of just how incredibly healing it is. Um, in addition to sometimes being necessary, people need rides, they need their, their, their laundry done. So there's practical needs and just the spiritual healing power. So I appreciate that point so much. And um, um, I was going to make, I was going to make one, one other point there, which is just a reminder. I mean, most, most haven't gone through pastoral training a reminder to not center ourselves, to not center ourselves within visits. It is very easy that we think we're showing empathy by talking about our own challenges. Oh, you're going through, oh, I went through that once. Let me tell you all my tsuris, right? Oh, no, ah, I'm in the hospital bed, huh? So it's, being empathetic doesn't mean that we have to demonstrate that our pain has been the same as theirs, and thus we're qualified to be in a position of empathy, like really making the other person the center showing some simsum, ret retracting ourselves a little bit from the amount of space we're taking up in a way that keeps them central in the story. That is also, and now, now remember, there's various levels of centrality. So in that hospital room is the patient, is the patient's spouse or the patient's parent, is the patient's friend, is the doctor, is the friend, is the clergy. I have to say, what circle am I in of centrality, right? Because the parent of the of the patient or the spouse of the patient also needs attention and they might be more centered than us as well. Or I might be a caregiver for my dying parents. And I also like am more central than this person visiting. So like there's various circles of centrality. Yeah, Cheryl, then Julia. Lecture number five is about death, burying, burying a loved one, et cetera. That some of the things that we discussed today that you taught today have are very similar to the rituals in uh, you know, and especially the one where the person stays with the person at night. You know, the whole the whole business about you know uh, being being a showmare at night. You know, uh, and, and caring for the body and stuff, and staying with the body until until the burial. Um, the other one that struck me was kind of the reverse about the person visiting the sick 
is sitting on the floor as opposed to the mourner sitting on the floor. So uh, I, I mean, it's it's almost like these kinds of mitzvot are um, are a practice for helping one or caring for the family of one who ultimately does die. It's, it's like the, the dress rehearsal kind of for that. Wow, wow, that, 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 that's cool. That, that's cool to think about, Cheryl. That's a cool connection, so thank you. We'll return to that in number five. And I appreciate you bringing us back to thinking about the body. You know, we don't always think about our bodies, um, especially, uh, especially men. I mean, I was one of those guys as a younger person. You know those horrible people on Manhattan trains who like take up two seats when they're sitting? You know, you got, what, what, do, what do they call you? A man sprawler? What does it call when you like open your legs and you're like, take up a lot of space on the train? Mansplaining. Mansplaining. Yeah. Mansplaining is a different phenomenon. This is like. Manspreading. So I was one of those people like didn't realize, okay, like I, I'm in the seat. You know, <laughs> who cares? You know, you don't realize like how you're using your <clears> body, <throat> you know? And like as someone who's 6'3", like you walk in, like you've got a physical, certain presence, like what do you do with your legs? And that's true for all of our bodies. I mean. You know, how you dress when you visit the sick, how you smell with cologne or perfume, right? Like what you're wearing, you know, and the like. And, um, and that's really important. And, and how we hold our body, like how do we make ourselves physically smaller? I think it's one of the goals, like so much what we tell kids, make yourself bigger, stand up straight, like be tall, be proud. But in other spaces, we have to make ourselves really small, like a quieter voice, a smaller body. Like how do you pull your shoulders in? How do you sit down a little bit? How do you listen? So like, it's worth us thinking about as Jews spiritually, not only how we use our voice, how we use our body, how we position ourselves. Yes, Julia. And, well, oh, I, I was just going to say one more yeah. thing. Okay, excuse me, excuse me, Julia. But um, I was just going to say about the uh, the phenomenon of the person visiting the sick yeah. becoming the center of attention with his or her own issues. And um, there, there's a, you know, I, I, I take a wise aging class immediately following this class. And that is kind of a kind of a friend who kind of, you know, it's kind of one of the levels of friendship that you think you're doing the person a favor when really you need to focus on the needs of, you know, the, the true, the true mitzvah of Bikur Halim is helping the sick, not, not helping your own mental health at that point, you know, <laughs> maybe in unloading your own physical or mental, you know, uh, needs. So I, I think that's a very important thing to, to remember when, when you visit, when you're visiting someone who's sick, it's yeah, a focus to be on them. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And actually there's a famous letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe around um, around times when you should lie to the sick person um, to, to preserve their, their to preserve their mental state in this regard as well. And he deals with the case, I think his mother was, uh, you know, let me not give a specific case because I might get it wrong. But essentially, let's say there's an elderly person dying and they inquire about their child, how are they doing? And you know their child is not doing well. You lie to them to, for peace of mind. Um, and so not only do we want to bracket some of our truth, right, sharing to, to preserve the space of their centrality, we may even have to lie, I mean, in very limited cases and very, you know, in ways that make sense in a way where um, we can give someone the, the, the gift of being able to die, um, that they don't feel like their work is not, not complete. I mean, that's one of the things we wanna to say to someone. We wanna say like, you've done all you can, we're gonna be okay, right? Everything is okay here. Um, and we want to give them a sense of completion. Yeah, Julia. Hi. So I was 
thinking back to, uh, to what Lauren said about her comparative uh, knee surgery experiences, and I, I am in the middle of reading um, a book by Dr. Vivek Murthy. Uh, pardon me if I mispronounce his name, he was the U.S. Surgeon General under uh, Obama, and he published at the start of the pandemic, it came out in March 2020, so it was pre-pandemic written, um, but it's called uh, Together, the Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World, and it's, it, it talks about the, the actual medical um, benefits of having human connection, um, and so, so if we're talking about, there are nuances about how you show up in the room, and there are ways to do it better than, than others, but I think the most important part is is to uh, show up, and and it really actually has medical medical benefits of being in a community. It made me think about a lot of how Jewish practices are based in the colloquial like knowledge of what makes people healthy, even before there was science. Um, there was just an understanding that like showing up for people improves their their healing. Um, and I I just if people are interested in this topic and you want to think more about like healing and visiting the sick, not only as a, as a kind thing to do, but as a thing that can actually be, you could be a healer by doing that. I highly recommend that book and I'll put it in the chat. And if anyone has thoughts on, on that, I'd love to hear that Beautiful. as well. Julia, thank you so much for that. And I do apologize. Um, we have to end 10 minutes early today. Normally we'll go the full hour, but <clears throat> to wrap up here, a reminder um, how much we can love the little acts of kindness, right? We can love the holding the umbrella for the person in the rain and walking someone across the road and holding a door and saying something nice. And those things really matter. And there are some bigger things we need a game plan around, right? How next time I hear someone sick, can I do one little step more than I normally do? Or how can I make sure once a month I have Bikor Khalim built into my agenda? Or, um, or how can I go a little deeper in prayer with the person who's sick if they want that or in physical touch if they want that or in some other way? Thank you all. I look forward to this journey with you. Have a great day. And next week, we'll deal kibud Ava'im, honoring parents. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.